<laughs> Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. So we're gonna, we're gonna we're in less than three of our kingdom living journey into kingdom living, and of course, um, you know we did the first two lessons. <clears throat> now we're we're gonna we're just gonna follow along lesson three. I know we're not gonna get through the whole thing in this this ten week series, but uh, the. Um, it, lesson three is learning to forgive, and our text is from Matthew uh, 18, 21 to 35. So I'm just going to go to the Lord in prayer before I start. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, for your truth. Lord, I thank you for the freedom to meet, to gather, Lord, together, and to worship and honor you, Lord, to, to look at your word, to talk openly about it. And Lord, I just pray that you be with me today. And Lord, uh, don't let me say anything that isn't right, but I, Lord, just want to honor you and glorify you with what we do here today. And we just, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, your truths will permeate into our hearts, Lord, and that we can use that to change our lives, Lord, for the better. And thank you so much for it, for all you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, learning to forgive, right? So talking about forgiveness, which is not a new subject to all any of us, but it's certainly an important one. And, uh, you know, in preparing for this, we there are several lessons in this book that we have to leave out because it's 13 lessons and we're doing a 10-week block and, you know, being closed a couple weeks, we're even shaving that down. So I'm going through this and I'm trying to figure out which ones to kind of omit. And I, I thought that this, even though it was the next one in succession, we definitely didn't want to admit it. I think it's very important, and I think there's a lot here. And so uh, we're going to try to get through most of it in the half an hour that I have, uh, 35 minutes that I have. But if we don't, then, of course, you can, you can you know, finish it at home or, or um, on your own time, of course. I encourage you to do that. So um, it starts off, it says, have you ever been deeply hurt by another person? And, of course, the answer is yes, we all have. Um, you know, um, it's extremely difficult to forgive. So forgiveness is, you know, it's difficult to forgive somebody who hurts us just once. However, what does God expect of us if someone repeatedly hurts us? Peter may have been hurt more than once by the same person. That's probably why he asked Jesus how many times he, mu he must forgive someone who sins against them. Then Peter asks, is seven times enough? Now, that's from Matthew 18, 21, of course. Now, Peter probably thinks he's being very generous because the rabbis taught a repeat offender should be forgiven three times. So Peter doubles that and then adds one, right? Seven, should, I, should I forgive seven times? And however, how does Jesus respond? We look at Matthew 18, 22, B and C. I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So, of course, we do the math, right? That's 490 times, which means as many times as it takes, what he's really saying is he's putting a number, you know, 70, seven time, 70 times seven, but, but really what he's saying is as many times as it takes. There is no limit to how much we should forgive. Forgiveness is important, and so uh, he's basically he's saying you forgive as many times as you have to, as many times as someone offends you. 
right? So it should be unlimited. However, Jesus says forgiveness should have no limit. Peter is thinking in terms of the law, but Jesus answers in terms of love. And what does the Bible say about love? So um, 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, it is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil, right? So we think of love, it's pure, but it's, but there's no malice there, right? So the word translated thinketh no evil, it's legazomai, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is, is an accounting term that could be translated keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep score in, in, in the area of wrongs. If we keep score, we haven't really forgiven. So we will become resentful and bitter, Right? So they're mentioning bitter, bitter, bitterness. The derivative bitterness is found 21 times in the Bible. And so this idea of bitterness is, uh, that sounds like my wife. <laughs> the, this idea of bitterness, it's going to come into play and we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit because I think it's important to this whole thing. So in response to Peter's question, Jesus tells a parable. Now, again, we looked at the last couple of weeks, a parable um, don't forget, you know, this is a time where most people are uneducated. And so um, Jesus tells parables. It's a way to simplify. It's an earthly way to deliver an, a heavenly message. It's a way to simplify his truths so that the average person um, could understand it. And so, and so that's important. And we see that you know, this book largely, this, this lesson series is largely the parables, right? Because that's how Jesus taught quite, quite often. So Jesus tells a parable to explain the need for unlimited forgiveness. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants who have borrowed money from him. In that process, one debtor brought before him, brought before him owes how much? And that's in Matthew 18, 24, 10,000 talents. So we can go and try to trim this out a little bit. And he talks about the, the, you know, the value of a talent and the Old Testament value. It's, you know, so many pounds, which the um, talent equals 6,000 denarius. A denarius is a penny, was a typical wage. So, you know, in the Old Testament, it was 75 pounds of silver. So if a talent is 75 pounds of silver, and he's saying, you know, he has 6,000 talents. He's got more silver than a horse could carry, that's for sure, right? Or he owes that, he owes. So in the New Testament, they're saying it's a denarius equal to a penny, which is a day's wage for an average earner. Therefore, a talent is actually was 6,000 working days or 19 years worth of wages. So really what, what he's doing here is he's putting that idea that, you know, he owes more than he could ever repay. This, this person owes 6,000 talents. So it's, you can quantify it however you want, but the, the point is this is a sum of money that this person is not ever going to be able to repay realistically in his lifetime. And so we see that there's no possible way for him to pay it. So the king orders the man and his entire family be sold, to be sold as slaves. Then after falling on his knees before the king, what does the debtor say? The servant therefore fell, fell down and worshiped and saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. 
Now, he, he had to have known that he could never pay it, pay it, right? But he's making this plea, plea to the Lord, and so how ridiculous, there's no way he could ever pay the debt. The, the parable reveals two things to remember when it comes time to forgive. Okay, this is, this is pretty important. Calculate what God has forgiven of you. So in response to the servant's plea, the king takes pity on him, and he forgives the servant. You know, he says, okay, and David, or let's look at King David. He was guilty of sins of adultery, murder, right? He had Bathsheba's husband killed after he had committed adultery with her. However, he prays to God to have mercy on him. Psalm 51.1, right? And so, according to God's loving kindness and unfailing love. So God's mercy is unlimited. God, when we got saved, God forgave us our sins. It's, it's like the servant. We have sins that we can never repay. We can never repay or, you know, pay for the sins we've committed ourselves. But when we get saved, God paid for the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross made it possible the remission of our sins, all our sins, past, present, and future. So that's the same, the same kind of scenario. It's a debt that we ourselves could never repay in our lifetime. And actually, we would have to spend eternity in hell, right? That's the, that's the, the wage for it. But we see that, but thank you, God, for salvation, right? So, so there's a parallel there. And that's important because God's mercy doesn't have a limit there is no limit to, to God's mercy. And so that's how David's praying in Psalm 51. But like the servant in the parable, we all have a debt we can't possibly pay. God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love where he hath loved us. Right. So when we pridefully minimize our own sin debt, which has been forgiven, we will have a hard time forgiving others. People who feel they have been forgiven a great sin that are very generous in extending forgiveness to others. We, we all know and, you know, we say, yes, Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross of Calvary. Our sin debt is forgiven. That's something that we can know in our minds. But how much do we know in our hearts? How much can we realize the multitude, you know, the, the magnitude of that, the what that really means to have all our sin debt forgiven. Like, I wonder if, you know, as I read through this, I really start to try to wrap my mind around it. Like, it's awesome. And so if we don't fully know that, or if we can't fully comprehend that, how then will we be able to extend that spirit of forgiveness to others? It, it, we really won't be able to. We have to know what it means for us, think about, I think about my life, right? My sin debt, and, and even in the future, it's all been forgiven. Like, that is huge. I don't even know if I can fully comprehend it. But in order for me to be able to forgive others, we, it has to come from there. I think that's a valid point. So um, this was not the case with the servant, right? He goes and finds, so, okay, so... He goes out and he has somebody that owes him some money and he doesn't forgive him, right? So here, he, he, there's a perfect example. He doesn't understand the magnitude of what that forgiveness meant in his own life. So he goes, he goes out and he says, you know, okay, a pence. So he goes to find a fellow servant who owes him 100 pence. A pence 
or a denarius is a day's wage for a common laborer. So the second service owe, servant owes about three months' wages to the first servant, a very small amount compared to what he himself had been forgiven of. Yet the first servant grabs the second servant and begins choking him and demanding him, pay me what you owe me, right? Now, you might be quick to condemn the first servant, but how many of you by choking, are choking someone right now? Not physically, but in your heart. You have your hands around someone's neck, right? Bitterness. Now we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to kind of unpack this and spend probably some of the time here on bitterness because bitterness is the key to this. Bitterness is what unforgiveness springs from. Bitterness is the seed that grows unforgiveness. But bitterness is also the end result of unforgiveness. So it's, it's like a cycle. And then you get caught in that cycle of bitterness and it's, it's terrible, it's devastating, right? The, you know, okay, in Ephesians 4.31, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness is the first thing they mention. Right? Bitterness is first on the list because everything that follows is the fruit of that horrible sin, which results from refusing to forgive. Right? Bitterness. Who has never been bitter? Right? Bitterness, you know, Pastor talked today about what's going on in our country. We're losing our freedoms. Right? Think about without really going down that rabbit trail. Just think broadly in our minds, like he said, a year and a half, but really even a couple months. Think about since October, November, where this country's gone from there. Did anything happen in that amount of time to make us bitter? Yeah. yeah. My, my rights are being stripped away. They want to take away our rights. I mean, we can make the list. Second Amendment, First Amendment. I mean, it's all, it's all in jeopardy. Where can that make me bitter? I mean, I grew up and worked hard my whole life. Grew up in a country that was free. I want the same for my kids. I want the same for your kids. I want the same for pastor's grandkids. But if I look realistically at it, is that going to happen? Can that make me bitter? Of course it can make me bitter. And honestly, it does make me bitter. But see, bitterness is a choice. And pastor inadvertently, I, I don't think it was on his mind, but he brushed on that this morning, right? It's a choice because there are things that can make us bitter every day of our lives. Our relationships with other people, or again, our rights being taken away, or wrongs that are being done to us. That's a choice we have to make every day when we get up. Are we going to be bitter, or are we going to try to let that bitterness go? That, that's where the unforgiveness, or where the forgiveness comes in, Right? because it's matter of perspective, right? We can look at the judgment of this nation and the things that happen, you know, the abortion, the transgender issues, all these things he touched on. That's what's the ruination of this country. That's what is gonna cause God to judge this country. And if we look in history, how can he not judge it, right? So that can make us bitter because it's a perspective. Because we're looking at it from that angle. But what if we look at it from a different angle? What if we look at it like, 
we win in the end. Like he said, we know the end of the book, right? We also know that apostasy is going to fall in the church. That's going to be the destruction of the church age. Can that make us bitter when we see that apostasy unfolding before us? Of course it can. But it's a perspective that we look at and we say, oh, this isn't right. And this is, you know, and those things make us bitter. But really, the other perspective is, yes, we're a day closer. Bring it. You know, do I want to see apostasy in the church? Of course not. Do I know that we don't get to the rapture without it happening? Right. So is it going to make me bitter or does it make me happy? It's a perspective. It's a choice we make every day. We have to choose not to be bitter. We have to, and, in, and in an individual, from an individual standpoint, people that wrong us, people that, forgive me, you know, I have people in my life, I have an ex-wife that, you know, chose to live a lesbian lifestyle, homosexual lifestyle. That ruined my marriage. It ruined my family. Uh, now, you know, I, I have to bear some of the responsibility for that because I could have just endured it, right? I could have probably, you know, I pay in a monetary value to this day I'm paying her money. Does, can that make me bitter? You know what? I'm going to be honest. That's the number one source of bitterness in my life. But I have to take it upon myself to not allow that to make me bitter, to let it go, to forgive that. And it's not easy, and I have to do it every single day because I can do it 100 days, and on the 101st day, I can fail at it. And trust me, I do when I have. And so we have to look at that in our, our own lives. Bitterness, I've heard it said, you know, bitterness is a poison that we take hoping someone else will die, right? If, if I have bitterness toward this person who I haven't talked to in several years, is that affecting them? Is that bitterness that I have towards, say, my ex-wife, does that hurt her? No, she has no clue. Who does it hurt? It hurts only me. It hurts only me, right? There's a, there's a quote I want to look at here. And so it says, bitterness is how we punish ourselves for other people's sins. And, and that's so true, right? Because the negative connotation, the negative outcome of bitterness is only going to affect the person who's bitter. It doesn't affect those who were bitter against. So it's a, in, and that's why, like in, that, in Ephesians, they talk about put away bitterness. You know, God's saying that God's word is telling us that there's no place in our hearts and in our lives for bitterness. And it's going to only work to destroy us. And so with that, of course, there is forgiveness. If we can't forgive, if we hold on to these things, these wrongs that are done to us, because we all have wrongs done to us, if we hold on to them and we can't let them go, nothing is gonna, good is going to come from that. It's only going to lead to bitterness. Bitterness is the key. That's the key. We have to make that choice every day to work, to forget that, to let that bitterness go. So uh, the second servant falls down and he pleads, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. This is the same plea which the first servant made. Now, however, the first servant refuses, and the second servant is put in prison till he can pay the debt. The king gets a hold of it. The king, you know, and he he forgives him, and he says, "Hey, look, you know, you were forgiven. You got to forgive this guy." But it, but in his heart, he didn't want to. Consider the consequences of refusing to forgive. 
When, when the other servant sees what happens, they, when the other servant see what happens, they are very sorry and report the incident to the king. So he gets involved, he, you know, forgives them. I'm going to try to trim some of this out. So, so likewise, shall my heavenly father, uh, how does Jesus sum up the parable about forgiveness in verse 35? So likewise, shall my heavenly father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother's trespass. If you forgive not everyone his brother's trespass. So what he's saying is, if we can't find a way to forgive others, how can we expect God to forgive us? And what they're actually saying is, he won't, right? And so when I read that, I was like, well, of course God forgives me, but how can I expect God to forgive me if I can't forgive others? And, that's, and it comes full circle. That's what they're talking about. That's, again, that's what grows the bitterness. But that unforgiveness, it's a cancer that could eat away at us, right? So, so besides making us wicked, a second consequence of refusing to forgive is mental and emotional torture. We're tortured by bitterness. It'll eat away our happiness. It'll limit our ability to love. It'll make us miserable, you will never meet a bitter person who's truly happy because one of the first casualties of bitterness is happy, happiness. Did we, anybody ever know anybody that was bitter, that couldn't forgive, that couldn't let go? I used to work with a guy. I mean, this is, you know, I was unsaved, so I guess I, maybe that's an excuse for my behavior, but I would, we worked alone in a building at night, second shift, and I'd hear him coming, and I would duck into a dark closet or a locker room just to hide as he went by so I didn't have to encounter him. Because he would suck the joy right out of me. But, but see, that's on me, not on him, because I allowed him to do that, right? We have to work and make that what I should have done. I, again, I was unsaved. As a Christian, we know what we should do is we should encourage that person. We should try to help them get past that, if it's possible. Not hide from them. What good does that do anybody? What good does it do me? What good does it do him? But, but in an unsaved person's mind and heart, that's the solution is like, let this guy just pass and let me not talk to him. And that's the, but, but that's not the solution. That's not the key. You know what? He's a lost soul that needs Christ. And just like Pastor said, Joe Biden, right? He's a lost soul that needs Christ. We should pray for him. Uh, and, and that's perfect, ties in perfectly to this lesson because there's the choice. Think of Joe Biden. Look at the executive orders he's signing. Look at what he's done to this country in the short time that he's been in office. Now that could make us bitter or it could cause us to want to pray for him, right? So that's the right perspective pastor said this morning we need to pray for him but see our first, my first instinct is what is this stinking knucklehead doing now if I dwell on that that wells up that causes bitterness how can you forgive how can I forgive him he's, he's a lost person what do we expect from the lost how can we expect the lost to stand up against abortion or, you know, to realize that there's only two genders and all this other gobbledygook is craziness. It's mental illness. He's not going to ever realize that as a lost man. There's only one hope for him. 
And that's Jesus Christ. That's salvation. Without that, he's never, and how can we expect him to? So again, if we get bitter about that, if we can't forgive him for those things, that only hurts us. You think Joe Biden cares that Tim Butler doesn't forgive him or has bitterness in his heart for the things he's doing? He doesn't even know I exist. So that's the poison pill that I'm hoping that, you know, I'm taking, hoping it's going to affect him, but it isn't going to affect him. It's only going to affect me, right? So um, God will not forgive us what we refuse to give, forgive others. When we refuse to forgive, we are showing a lack of appreciation for God's unfailing love. So this is huge right here. This is, I read this, it was like kind of blew me away because, you know, when I'm going to read it again. When we refuse to forgive, we're showing a lack of appreciation for God's unfailing love and mercy in our own lives. Wow, right? God repeatedly warns us about consequences of refusing to forgive. For example, what does James 2.13 warn? For he shall have judgment without mercy, right? So again, there, he, you know, we're seeing that if we don't find the ability within ourselves to forgive others, God is not gonna forgive us. He's gonna judge us. And so God demands that we forgive, right? He doesn't suggest it. That, that's not a suggestion. He demands it because there are such serious consequences for refusing to, to forgive. Uh, I searched the internet for some good quotes about forgiveness. Here are two things. Now, I didn't search it. This is in the book. I think are really good. Forgiveness is a funny thing. It warms the heart and cools the sting. And he who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass, right? Again, back to that. How do we expect God to forgive us if we can't forgive others? We're burning our own bridge before we cross it, right? So it's, again, nothing but good. Nothing but, nothing good is gonna come from that. Jesus says you must forgive from your hearts. That means not just acting like you forgive someone. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I accept your apology, I forgive. But if we, you know, we see this in marriages quite a bit, which, where's my wife? She's not here to hear this, but you know, how many times do, do, do they forgive us? And then, you know, down the road, well, remember, well, you know, remember that time, they'll bring it up. Well, if you bring, if you, if I say, Mark, I forgive you for this, egregious thing you've done to me. And then three years down the road, he said, I don't know, Mark, you remember that time, you know, then of course I didn't really forgive you because when you forgive, it's forgotten, it's wiped away. Like when God forgave us, when we accepted Christ as our savior and we got forgiven, what happens? Those transgressions are blotted away. They're as far as the East is from the West. They're not, they're out of his mind now. They're gone, right? Think about that. Like I can remember things people have done to me. Does that mean I truly forgave them? Probably not, right? But, but the next stage is letting, the, letting it control me with bitterness. But really, it goes deeper than that. We have to truly forgive. And to truly forgive, we have to forget. If I say I forgive you, I have to forget about it. I have to let it go. And, and that's not always easy to do, right? So Jesus says you must forgive from your hearts. That means not just like... Not just acting like you forgive somebody means letting the out of the prison of your heart, which really that's what bitterness is. It's a prison. You must say, you know, you may say, Tommy, you just don't know how much they hurt me or my family. No, I don't, but I do know that Jesus says it's wicked 
to refuse to forgive. I also know what God says in Philippians. So Philippians 4.13, right? Now, I know we talked about this on a Wednesday night. I think it's largely misquoted, right? It says here, and this is how it reads in the King James, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And a lot of times we'll see it written, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me, right? But, that, but Christ isn't gonna strengthen us to do all things. The list of all things includes many horrible things. Every sin is a thing, adultery is a thing, murder is a thing, cheating, lying, stealing, those are all things. Is Christ gonna strengthen me to do all things? When we misquote that and we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I'm saying I can go out and commit murder through Christ and he's gonna strengthen me to do it. If we take it literally, that's exactly what it means when we, but no, it doesn't say that. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Right, because again, when context in, context in biblical study, we look to the preceding and the, pr- the pr- preceding verses. So if we go back, that's verse 13, like 10 or 11, it lists, you know, um, all these things, right? And so it lists the things that strengthen us. And then it says, you know, if we do any of these things. So when they go fast forward two verses to 13, I can do all things which strengthen me. So what, what can we do through Christ? Not all things, all things which strengthen us, right? Um, to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better Christian, to be a better church member, to be more loving to my brethren, right? To those that read my Bible every day, study, pray, those are things which strengtheneth me. Those are the things that I can do through Christ. Not all things, just all things, if you throw that out there. That's a voluminous list of things that, again, includes many horrible things. So when we see that verse, I believe it's important to really understand what they're saying there because we'll see that misquoted and we'll see that being said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is not true. And that is not how it's written in the King James Bible. And it's just one or two words, but context and words are important, right? In a, in a lease, if you put, you know, the lease, the lesser, the lessee, right? Shall pay $1,000 a month for a lease. Well, that's shall's compulsory, Right? If if Mark's renting an apartment for me and our lease says you shall pay me $100,000 a month, there's no getting out of that. Now, that contract can be seven pages long. If I cross out that one word, shall, and I put might pay me $1,000 a month, well, that changes things, changes everything. And in a contract of seven pages, we've only changed one word. And that's what's happening here in this verse. So it's important when we see that verse because... I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Forgiveness, that's what the lesson's about, right? I can forgive through Christ. Christ will give me the power to forgive others because that's something that is gonna strengthen me and that's something that's gonna help me. And so I can't do it without Christ. I can't, we can't do those things. We can't forgive others. We can't make the choice to put away that bitterness without Christ's help. Because in our own fleshly, worldly selves, we don't feel that. We don't want to forgive. We don't want to let go. 
We have to do it through Christ. So God never commands us to do anything that he will not give us the power to do. And that's going back to that. He's going to help us. Uh, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Right? That's Christ. He'll strengthen. He'll, he will give us the power to do all things which strengthen us. So calculate what God has forgiven you and consider the consequences of forgiving others. It's huge. That's a choice every day. Bitterness, let it go. We got to let those things go. We can't do it on our, in our own power. We can't do it ourselves. We need Christ to help us with that. And so actively make that choice to pray, to do that, and to allow that to happen. Well, thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for the power of your truth and your word. I thank you for all you do in my life, Lord. Pray that we can apply these truths to our hearts. Lord, that we can be better people, that we can learn more how to love and how to be like you, Christ. Thank you so much for the work you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.